0: Culture Footnotes: The podcast that keeps you in the loop on all things pop culture, so you can talk about it with your friends. I'm Courtney. I'm Shannon, and it's just the two of us this week. Yay! No one um,
1: felt uh, <laughs> inspired to talk about fr- the French Revolution. Yes, <laughs> is it, it is. It? I don't know. Um,
0: yeah. So first off, right off the bat, Happy Bastille Day! <laughs> um if you're if you're listening in the united states you might not know a lot about bastille day but that is basically like the fourth of july for france um so can happy I, bastille day for our french listeners
1: can i give like a random tangent right off the bat yes <laughs> um we all know how i love john green yeah and the Fault in our stars yeah i have an audiobook where he reads it, mm-hmm. um, even though the character is like a teenage girl, John Green reads it. Yeah. Um, but there's a line in there like the mother in the book plans like weird things because her daughter has cancer, so she mm-hmm. like does things for random holidays. And <laughs> anyway, so there she does something for Bastille Day, and the way that John Green reads it is like, <laughs> it's Bastille Day. And it's just like the most beautiful, it cracks me up. So every time you say Bastille Day, I'm going to be hearing his voice in my um mind Yeah. Reading. I,
0: along the same lines, can I just say, um, we know how much I love Phineas and Ferb and, <laughs> um, Phineas, or no, sorry, Ferb, um, has all of these things and they'll be like, where did you get that? And it, it's like a Bastille Day gift from his grandparents.
1: <laughs> um, so yeah. That. Wow. We,
0: <laughs> Which is funny because like... Ferb is English, so.
1: That's the thing. We're, we're like, <laughs> Happy Happy Bastille Day to every all our French listeners. Let's talk about John Green and Phineas first. Two cultural touchstones that are not as prominent. in Phineas. I'm so sorry.
0: That's okay because we're okay. going to remedy this situation by talking about um, Marie Antoinette, the movie. Mm-hmm and the person yay so uh, but before we get into that let's uh yes
1: that is true that is true
0: that's okay (laughs) (laughs) okay so um we are going to get into that after we do our media of the week segment so shannon what have you been reading or watching or listening to this week
1: yeah um I'll throw out a few things. I feel like I always talk about movies I'm watching because I have a movie pass go all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a plug for movie pass and people should <laughs> um, As far as listening to, um, if, if um, everything works out well... Um, mm-hmm. A couple days after this airs, I will be seeing Shawn Mendes in concert. Um, Wait, who? Sorry? Sean Mendes. Okay,
0: yeah.
1: Um, He's a little young for me, but he's adorable. <laughs> um, anyway, his new album came out recently, and it's so good. Um, I saw Taylor Swift um, in LA, and he came out and performed. Aww. He was like her special guest, and I was so pumped, because um, I think he he's just fantastic so i can't even remember what that album is called um but sean mendes newest one is fun yeah um and it's also summer so i feel like um i established again i I like ya um those like summer romance kind of things are usually what i read yeah um though when i'm there's a new one from morgan madsen um, then I'm going to start here soon. So she's really excellent and kind of the best for that. They also mm-hmm. added follow up. The other thing I recently was in that same vein. Um, they had a sequel to Simon uh, versus the Homo Sapien Agenda, which I brought mm. up in this podcast before. Yeah, that was excellent. Awesome. I should read that too.
0: Excellent. So,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, as for me, I have been watching the FIFA World Cup um so by the time this airs the the final I want to say hang on has already taken place is about to take place um hang on
1: (laughs) you know I'm gonna ask you for some predictions now of who it's gonna be
0: uh I don't know (laughs) uh let's see let's see when when is the final tell me google okay i don't know but i have been keeping track of the fifa world cup um so yeah i'm excited for
1: it'll be for tomorrow as of this recording <gasps> what <laughs> so there you go
0: tomorrow like the july 15th yeah great i'm excited to watch
1: <laughs> the final country world. one
0: and country two <laughs> Who compete sure in that
1: <laughs> i mean is the u.s competing
0: no the U- the u.s didn't make it this year that's
1: what i thought um, So, who who are your countries you're really rooting for them
0: oh well, the ones that i'm rooting for
1: uh that's a
0: good question i'm gonna i'm gonna go with germany all right yeah right. yeah cool good luck germany yeah good luck germany <laughs> <laughs> great um so let's let's move on then <laughs> um <laughs> So we're going to be talking about Marie Antoinette, the movie. Um, The thing about that movie is that it is less of like a linear plot line and more of a series of almost vignettes, like impressions from her life. Um, So we thought that for especially our American listeners, um, you know, a lot of people here don't really have a great idea of what Bastille Day is um, so we figured we would talk a little bit about the, uh, historical side of Bastille Day for a moment. Um, so Bastille Day occurred on the 14th of July, 1789. Um, on, uh, and so actually what occurred was the storming of the Bastille, which was a prison before that though. Um, so the French state, there was the King, um, and the nobility they were part of. So they were on this like three tier system, of, like three t- it's called i don't know anyway um <laughs> so the the third estate was the common people and then you had um the nobility and you had um the roman catholic church the clergy um as another estate um so basically these three estates had delegates that um kind of represented the different the various people within the country um, it wasn't going great because the nobility kind of had a a really tight reign over the common people and they were not managing, they they did not handle that responsibility well. Um, There were good people in the nobility who were, you know, perfectly good people um, and managed their responsibilities well, but there were also people who Dramatically abused their privilege, um, and specifically, what they were doing is they were heavily taxing the people. Um, they were then taking that money and not spending it on things that the country needed, but rather on themselves, um, living very extravagant lifestyles. Um, so, the French Revolution, basically, what kicked that off was their Oh, um, so also, also the American Revolution had just happened, and um, King Louis the Sixteenth. He decided to back the Americans because they were fighting the British and France and Britain are hardcore like or were hardcore like enemies for quite a long time. Um, So France decided to back the American Revolution basically to stick it to the British. Um, And that drained them of a lot of their resources, um, a lot of their military might and um that left france in a bad state with their debt they were heavily taxing the people to try to make up for that but at the same time you had these nobles who were living these extravagant lifestyles with like super nice clothes and just lots of excess and you know their huge hairstyles and all that jazz um so the people were getting restless they were um A lot of complaints and unhappiness and there was starting to be talk of revolution. And so King Louis the 16th invited the estates general to air their grievances. Um, so of the three estates in France, the, the deputies of the third estate, that's the common people, they decided, you know what, screw that. We're breaking away because these other two tiers are only looking out for themselves. We're in the minority, even though we represent the majority of the people. Um, so they decided to break away. Um, they then took the tennis court oath, where basically they swore that um, they weren't going to officially separate until they had established a constitution. Um, so then they were eventually joined by sympathizing delegates of the other estates. So these this movement is growing and growing. Um, and uh, the king is starting to recognize the validity of, validity of their concerns, but by that point... Um, he ended up firing his finance minister, who was sympathetic to the Third Estate, um, and so that was taken as a sign of the king is going to try to suppress this and keep things as they are, um, and so and and they took that as a sign that the king was not willing to make the changes that they needed. Um, so they decided, the people decided to storm the Bastille, which is, was a prison in Paris. And it was specifically a, it was like a fortress prison. So it had gunpowder and ammunition, um, basically the things that the people needed in order to have a successful revolution. Um, but in addition, um, it also had people who were jailed on the basis of, um, let's Cachet, which is basically signet letters. So basically, what that means is that um, the royal family could arbitrarily indict somebody, and it was it couldn't be challenged. Like it was basically, they could just lock up whoever they wanted. Um, so like political prisoners and people who hadn't actually done anything wrong, who had displeased the royal family. <coughs> Excuse me. So the people stormed the Bastille. Um, there ended up being a big fight. About 200 of the people died. Only one person defending the Bastille died. Um, but they did end up taking the prison, releasing the prisoners taking the ammunition. And it basically kicked off the French revolution. Um, and, uh, the French revolution, it started off really, uh, it was very bloody. Um, you had Robespierre who was the, essentially the head of the revolutionary reign of terror yeah and his reign of terror so basically they were just hunting down nobles and executing them via guillotine so chopping off their heads um and so basically the people um stormed versailles carted off the king queen and their children imprisoned them um eventually marie antoinette and king louis were executed um i believe that the children were sent to austria but i'm not I'm not 100% sure on that.
1: I'm not either. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, so... I was actually
1: wondering that too, uh-huh. because it's been a while since I've had like a world's history course of history. Yeah. Um And so I was thinking that through the film, like what her children make it out of this, okay? Don't they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I knew that they didn't.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that's something that the movie doesn't, the film actually doesn't resolve. Yes.
0: <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the, the French revolution, um, the revolutionary government was eventually overturned and then they had Napoleon and there were a series of different governments that kind of took over until eventually France has established what they have now. Um, but the storming of the Bastille was basically the spark that, um, ignited the French revolution and ha- and has since led to the freedom of its people. So it's celebrated in France on the 14th of July every year, um, as basically their independence day. Um, great, so now we're gonna go into the plot of the movie. So Marie Antoinette. So um, this movie starts with we meet young Marie Antoinette. She's 14 um, and she is being married off to um, the Dauphin of France, which basically means he's the heir apparent, the prince. Um, and uh, we should also say her her original name was Maria Antonia. She's Austrian. Her mother is uh, Maria Theresa, who um, was quite a formidable ruler of Austria, <laughs> um, and she had lots of children, and she used them for political purposes in marriage and whatnot um yeah go ahead I
1: did not like her <laughs> the, yeah the character I guess I won't say that about the actual person yeah. but the character she, in this film is terrible
0: yeah she's a very I don't I don't know why they haven't done a biopic about her because she's a fascinating person yeah, she was incredibly sure. smart um she was formidable and relentless and like yeah. extremely smart I guess um, since
1: it's shown through the eyes of Mary Antoinette she mm-hmm. just uh, I'm like it's just oh scary. You're a terrible mother <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah Um, so yeah, so Marie, Maria Teresa is marrying, um, Maria Antonia, her youngest daughter to, uh, the Dauphin of France. And so, um, she meets with her mother. Her mother kind of gives her some advice and then sends her on her way. She's escorted to the border of France, and there's like a tent set up like in, in the woods just where the border is. And she enters on the Austrian side, and then she's stripped of all of her clothes. All of her Austrian things are left behind, and then including her little puppy. Dog. I know.
1: <laughs> Can I have a note about that? So mm-hmm. like right off the bat, I, what I was expecting this film to be was... Humanizing a character that we often think of it—we think of Mary Antoinette, and we think of "Let them eat cake" and mm-hmm. her not being very sympathetic to the French people, mm-hmm. and um, so I'm expecting them to humanize her. And immediately, when they take that dog away, and the look on her face, mm-hmm. I—she's like, but, "But my dog!" And I'm like, "Oh, this is someone who's lost, like who has experienced lost even yeah. though she." lived in excess later
0: yeah and i mean to be fair losing your dog is not nearly as traumatic no as, like, and,
1: no that's losing fair, your family
0: but but, but i mean but, she is also kind of torn away from her family she's essentially isolated from her family and yeah. friends she never goes back to austria
1: in and, and her identity just everything she's known up until this point though mm-hmm. it's like all that's gone yeah that and be, it's not as traumatic you're right but like scary yeah <laughs> and she
0: is like a 14 year old girl yeah. you kind of feel for her <laughs> But yeah, so she is stripped of all of her stuff. She is dressed up in these French clothes. She exits the tent on the French side and then is escorted to meet her husband, um, the Dauphin, Louis XVI. So she meets him. She also meets um, a couple of aunts who are played by Shirley Henderson and Molly Shannon um, and uh, the Dauphin's brothers and the king, who is the Dauphin's grandfather, um, the, who is played by Rip Torn, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, So she meets him and, um, she's escorted back to the court and there are all these people just staring at her and it's very awkward. Um, and she's like just thrown right into the rigors of the French court. The French court was very like, had tons of traditions and it was very based on your relationship to the Royal family and privileges associated with that. So, um, when she gets up in the morning, they're dressing her, but there's this whole hierarchy of who gets to do what in um in this lineup and you know there are people who are like gathering around you know her bed all the time and people who have access to her at any time simply by virtue of who they are um which is so bizarre but um yeah so she's she's feeling very confined and like very um i don't know what do you what's the word i'm looking for just like restrained yeah yeah um
1: <laughs> she notes that too mm-hmm. least, uh, she when like the it switched to a third woman to dress her and she's uh-huh. standing there like naked. She's cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> she says this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like why? Yeah.
0: Yeah. But uh there are all these traditions that have formed over hundreds of years of the French royal royal family like building these traditions. And um so she ends up marrying Louis the 16th and then um they're not able to consummate their marriage and she's trying and it's not happening. And we basically learn through letters between her and her mother that unless the marriage is consummated, um, it could be annulled and she could be shipped back to Austria in disgrace. Um, and the other thing is that because she's married, the Dauphin, um, her main job is producing an heir to the throne. So a male heir specifically, um, And so it
1: should be noted that on their wedding night, mm -hmm. like people are just surrounding the bed at first while they both like change and get into bed and then they like shut the curtains and expect Uh it to just happen. Yeah. That's terrible. Yep.
0: (laughs) Um, so yeah. And then we also see like, um, so the King, I'm going to just say the King Rip torn. Um, (laughs) so, uh, Louis the 16th grandfather, um, he has a mistress, Madame du Barry, who is, um, they gossip about her and say she's basically a prostitute that was, um, married off to some guy with a title and then he was shipped off so that she could be at court with the King and basically just be there. Um, she's kind of vulgar and everybody dislikes her and Marie Antoinette, um, as she has now been renamed because it's her French name, Um, she is very disdainful of Madame du Barry, but Madame du Barry is also like the favorite of the King. And so she has sway at court. And so she's complaining to the King about how Marie Antoinette won't acknowledge her and how she's snubbing her. And, um, the King is getting upset and because the marriage hasn't yet been consummated, like it puts her position in court in jeopardy. So she's forced to make nice and say something to Madame du Barry. And so she just says like, there are a lot of people at court today and that's it, (laughs) um, (coughs) excuse me, um, eventually, uh, so, yeah, so, Marie is, like, um, she still hasn't been able to consummate her marriage with her husband, and it's been years at this point, um, the prince's brother, then, um, his wife is able to conceive and have a child before Marie Antoinette. So there are all these rumors about how she's buried and how it's been a waste of money. There are also people who talk about her behind her back and say that she's an Austrian spy, which, um, I think is valid considering who her mother was. I don't
1: think you've said that. Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, that was a valid concern, but, uh, at the same time, I think, um, I will talk about this later. (laughs) Anyway. Um, so there are people kind of talking about her behind her back. Um, she uh, she convinces Louis and some of her like ladies in waiting and various other people to go to a masquerade ball in Paris and sneak away, even though they're not supposed to be there without a formal reception. Um, but they're like, well, we're going to be wearing masks, so it's fine. Um, while she's there, she meets um, Forsen. What's his What's his uh, Is he a colonel or a general? I can't remember.
1: I can't either.
0: Yeah, but he's a Swedish soldier. Played by uh, Jamie Dornan of Fifty Shades of Grey fame. Oh,
1: he's a count. And a count. I did not put that together. That's...
0: <laughs> yeah. I,
1: first Harry Connick Jr. Now, these people, it's like if they don't have the same facial hair or something, did you they're, notice, like, they're all... I can't remember them.
0: Did you notice Tom Hardy in this movie? Yes. Yeah, but
1: good. He's... Okay. Now, I really... That... That seriously does not look like him. That's he's so he's like a little baby face. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, he aged well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they... didn't notice Tom Hardy. Excellent.
0: So yeah. they come back from the masquerade, and they learn that the king has contracted smallpox. He orders Madame de Berry to leave Versailles, um, and then he dies. <coughs> um, that makes Louis XVI the king of France, and Marie is now the queen. Um They still have not consummated their marriage. It's been seven years. So Marie Antoinette's brother, Joseph II, who is the emperor now of Austria, he comes to visit and um, he's like, he's telling her, hey, you're throwing lots of parties. You should probably not do that. And she's just like, okay, whatever, you know, kind of blows him off. Um, And then he goes and talks to her husband and gives him some, he explains to him the mechanics of how to actually consummate his marriage and was, it happens
1: <laughs> was was that the problem the entire time yes or okay at first i, I was well, thinking well yeah. were trying to say that he was not attracted to women and that was a thing yeah it or was I'd,
0: it was vague because there yeah, have been people who have speculated that okay interesting um and so they they speculate that um <laughs> that eventually she well and that's also like in the a lot of the french revolutionaries would call marie antoinette a whore and mm. and there were people who questioned the validity of her son's claim to the throne because she slept around and so I the,
1: questioned that's fair sl- <laughs> um. um it's just funny when when that finally works <laughs> louise just like hops on top of her and she's like oh <laughs> and then, that's it yep. then she's having a kid
0: so. yep yeah, so we cut to Marie Antoinette having her first child, who winds up being a daughter, um, who she names uh, Marie Therese, after her mother. Um, so, and then Louis gifts her a a, a small chateau called Petit Trianon, um, which is in the park of Versailles. So it's not far from Versailles proper, but it's a, her own little kind of retreat. Um, and so she lives there with her daughter. She's throwing parties, parties. Um, and, uh, she starts an affair with Furson, um, Axel Furson, that's his name. Um, yeah. Axel. yeah. <laughs> um, so he ends up having to leave because he's in the military and blah, blah, blah. He has to leave. Um, in the meantime, fa- France's financial crisis is worsening. There are food short food shorta- shortages, and, uh, there are riots and, And somebody publishes something in the paper about how, when, when she was asked about the bread shortages, um, amongst her people, she said, let them eat cake. Um, and then it cuts to her and she says, I would never say that. That's so stupid. (laughs) And, um, her ladies in waiting are saying like, shouldn't you do something? She goes, I can't acknowledge this. Like I'm the queen. And so yeah, she doesn't do anything. Um, so yeah, the, Marie Antoinette is very famous for having said let them eat cake in response to the the people's dissatisfaction and um, historically we're not 100% sure if she ever did say that she might have, she might not have <laughs> we don't know um, so things are starting to, uh, to go bad the French people have started calling her Madame Deficit she's spending just tons of money on these parties um, I think at one point in the film her one of her advisors says, like, you've spent 50000 just this month. Like, you need to <laughs> you stop. You do not have
1: any money to donate to charity. Oh, yeah. And then she
0: goes, I'll just ask Louis for the money yeah. for the charity. It's <laughs> fine. Um, <Yep. laughs> so, yeah, she's uh, she ends up giving birth to her son, Louis Joseph, who becomes the new Dauphin of France. Um, she also gives birth to another son and another daughter. Um yeah, um her second son hands l- up becoming Louis the 17th of France. Um, and then her other daughter is Princess Sophie of France. Uh, Sophie does die before her first birthday. So they kind of show that in the movie how there's they have um, marie antoinette with her children how there are like different portraits being done of her with her children at various points and so at one point they cart in this new picture of her with her two children and a baby and then they take it out and then they bring it back in and the cradle is empty and you see um her dressed in black with her children and her husband and this carriage with a tiny coffin leaving um yeah it was it was very touching even though it was very kind of sparse yeah um yeah and then um and then the French Revolution erupts they um they get news that the Bastille has been stormed um they send away all of their courtiers and stuff because it's not safe at Versailles but they decide to stay um I was watching this just going why aren't you sending your children away what are you doing I was like if you want to be noble and stay and like show that you are the king and queen and you are you know whatever fine but send your kids away send them to Austria what are you doing Um, but they don't. So eventually a mob comes to Versailles and you see them kind of huddled with their children. Their children are crying and, um, and they're trying to carry on as best they can. They're still eating dinner with the same, like, rigorous, like, you know, uh, traditions and everything, trying to go on as best they can. Eventually, though, um, the movie shows them being, Um, escorted through a huge crowd to a carriage with their children they're dressed very plainly um, and uh, they're sitting in the carriage and Louis asks Marie Antoinette if she's admiring her Lime Avenue and she says no I'm saying goodbye and that's the end of the movie yeah yeah cool (laughs) so (laughs) this movie was interesting for me I have lots of (laughs) thoughts okay let's hear it (laughs) What do you think? Um,
1: well, <laughs> it's, it's, it was interesting hearing you do the review of it because mm-hmm. I think I came off liking Mary Antoinette mm-hmm. more than it appears you maybe did, uh, just, or, or not. You know what? I, or at least I felt <laughs> like, um, we've always, she's always talked about as someone who lived in excess and was so extravagant mm-hmm. and, um, just didn't even, th- I, I don't know it, that's not, It's not that that isn't true in mm-hmm. this film because she does like live in excess and they have yeah. whole scenes of all the food they're eating and the clothes that she's wearing and whatnot. Yeah. Um. But I think they...
0: Uh, it's definitely a sympathetic portrayal. Yeah.
1: yeah. And there's some different ways you could read that. I think you could mm-hmm. read it. I think she was maybe a little bit clueless about all of it. I yes. also think that... Like I said at the beginning, she had everything from Austria taken from her. Yeah. And she's in a situation where she was forced to marry a man. She didn't know and wasn't too happy about that. She was taken away from her family wasn't too happy about that. She, um, Her husband would not help her produce the hair that she was expected to produce. Mm-hmm. Her mother is constantly sending her these letters throughout about how she's so disappointed and how she has not had a child yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like she was almost using things is like a way to cope with this, Mm -hmm. I feel like is one way of reading it. Yeah. So I don't yeah, Yeah. I did feel more sympathetic toward her and not just like, oh, she's so frivolous and like just going off and spending things. I think that was like all she had. And so she clung to it.
0: Well and I think that it's a very sympathetic portrayal of her in that um like I mentioned that Maria Teresa her mother was very like shrewd um but i think that marie antoinette's education was dramatically overlooked and i think purposefully overlooked because i think maria theresa was savvy enough to know um you know she she was going to be using her children to form alliances and to um strengthen her own country her own kingdom um and she knew that for her daughters it would not make for good marriages within other royal families, if her daughters were shrewd like her. Um, That would be seen as threatening. And, you know, that Austria was expanding its reach. And there are all of these, you know, Austrian spies in the courts now because we're marrying into the Austrian family. And she knew that that wouldn't go over well. So Marie Antoinette was really only educated in the courtly niceties and things that she needed to know. Like we see in this movie that she loves opera. She loves music. And that's because that was a vital, like a vital skill that she needed to have in the Austrian court because music was so prominent there. Um and so she needed to be well versed and familiar and you know interested in opera in order to get by. And so her education really only consisted of you know the traditions and the niceties and the pleasantries and she was never really schooled in how to actually be a ruler, how to, you know, manage a, a A country um and so when she gets to France it's just you know she does what she knows and that's I'm a royal and I'm expected to live this way I'm you know but like you said she she's also trying to cope with the rigors and the traditions and the strictures that are placed upon her and the society that she's being forced into Mm -hmm. um and so yeah she's like overspending and gambling and partying because what else can she do you know to feel alive um but yeah, and so I think, it's, I think it was a sympathetic portrayal, but the thing about this movie, I think I said it earlier, is that it's not like a linear storyline. And a lot of biopics will say like they have a specific interpretation of the subject that they want you to come away with. Yeah. And I felt like this one was much more open ended because it was more just a series of impressions from her life mm-hmm. um, that kind of help you to understand her perspective, her side of the story. Yeah. Um, but also is very honest about her flaws. You know, she's still an adult capable of, you know, intelligent thought and she still has <laughs> she choices. Use it
1: very yeah, often. <laughs> she still makes the
0: choice to, yeah. you know, be lascivious and. Um, yeah and irresponsible
1: yeah
0: um and so ultimately like the the revolution and the revolutionaries have valid points about her Mm -hmm. um she's not a perfect person so i came away with it going like this was sympathetic because it wants you to feel to understand where she's coming from but it's also very open about her her flaws yeah which i found really really refreshing actually yeah um I think but we I don't should think also. I know how to feel it. Like I, <laughs> yeah.
1: I think yeah. I'm so confused about how yeah. Yeah. Because it's giving you both sides of them. Like, so how mm-hmm. how should I feel? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah,
0: and mm-hmm. I I feel like that's a very honest interpretation because, oh. I mean, nobody is wholly good or wholly bad. You yeah. Know? yeah. Um that's-
1: point yeah
0: (laughs) another big takeaway i had at the end was like how sorry i feel for her children because they're just like little innocent kids they don't they don't know anything about any of this
1: so it sounds um (coughs) where did i find it because i did find something about the font Mm -hmm. that um he did make it out Mm -hmm. um, at that point i'm not sure where they sent him exactly but Mm -hmm. he died at age seven and a half oh and yeah so that was
0: louis right yes um yeah but then her second son i think lives oh, okay um so yeah but
1: at least her kids weren't um and, uh, that's another thing i want to talk about is the decision not to show the, the beheading
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> or
1: the execution of louis and mary
0: or even the imprisonment
1: yeah um it got ugly yeah, I guess I the whole film I was kind of expecting it to lead to that. Um mm-hmm. when the one time I did learn about the French Revolution in high school, um I think I was kind of traumatized for it and have stayed away from it a little bit. Um because the film we watched about it showed kept showing an image this like stock footage of a guillotine coming down and blood dripping down. Um it had just horrified me like the idea of like that's maybe the most brutal way. It just that's seems more inhumane to me than shooting someone or I don't know just something Mm. about your (laughs) head like it just seems terrible so I like I appreciated the decision I guess not to see it it wouldn't have fit the tone of the movie Mm -hmm. but um yeah I'm curious since everyone knows that part um, were we? They do show Versailles with like a chandelier that's fallen, and it looks um, like it's been ravaged or whatnot. And so, were we supposed to just see that and then? Was that alluding then to, uh, and they're not going to end up in a good spot? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting how open it leaves that instead of, like, finishing her life story.
0: Yeah, I um, think that it kind of assumes that everybody has a certain amount of knowledge about what and ended up happening to right. her. But, uh, I mean, the end of her story was really, really sad. She was yeah. imprisoned in the temple, and there are lots of stories about things that... Um, happened to her there um including like she was under constant surveillance with no privacy whatsoever so like anytime Mm. she wanted to get changed there was a guard there anytime she wanted to use the laboratory somebody was there yeah um she also was separated from her children um she spent a lot of her time just trying to um just trying to see her son um in the end her son was turned against her They took her away, took him away from her. And, um, some people, well, I mean, it's basically what most people think happened is, um, the people who took her son away, fed him stories about his mother and how Mm -hmm. she had had affairs and was a whore and how she like was a bad person and eventually kind of brainwashed him into turning on his mother, um, which came up in her trial, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, she was eventually um, put on trial, not a particularly fair one, and executed. Oh. Um, yeah.
1: To me, though, that, uh, that part of the story is kind of necessary to understanding everything <laughs> that came, uh, like you, I don't know. I I would want to know how Mary Antoinette felt about that. Like then mm-hmm. hearing because we see like a little bit of her, I guess, having heard about the let them eat cake line and things like that. But um, yeah, I would want having your child turn on that. Mm-hmm. There seems to be there's some real good emotional stuff there that I oh yeah like would like to see that part. yeah <laughs> but anyway
0: yeah i think it was mostly supposed to be i think the movie was mostly supposed to be a character a, a portrait of her character so that you could then analyze did has history judged her well yeah was she judged well in the end you know yeah. and i mean was was she i don't know that she was i think that she became a scapegoat um, yeah, because, I mean, the royal family, and we kind of see this in the movie. They, they are ultimately responsible for the well-being of their country. But mm-hmm. we've also seen how there are all these different levels of tradition and um, ins- insulation for the royal family. They're very insulated from the common people. Um, because of all of these people who want access to them. And as a result, you know, you have well this guy has to be over this responsibility because he's the first cousin of so and so mm-hmm. and you know all of these responsibilities of rulership are taken away from the royal family. So they're given very little information about what's actually happening. And so they yeah. what respo- what decisions they are responsible for they're trying to make with the information that they have, but they're not getting the whole story. Yeah. And so ultimately a lot of the things That's that were causing dissatisfaction among the people were not coming directly from the royal family some things were not saying that they weren't Mm because they definitely had a hand in the um mistreatment of their people yeah but um you know a lot of the people who were ultimately the ones really responsible uh, their their misdeeds got pinned on the royal family i mean and there's you know when you're when, when your job is to rule the people well you know that yeah you're responsible for the people under you but uh you know you kind of get in a this movie gives you some understanding into you know did they really like do were they really that bad
1: uh, maybe yeah. not
0: <laughs> so yeah maybe
1: careless rather than bad or malicious yeah <laughs> i guess that's kind of what i came away with like oh mm-hmm. i sympathize but also like mm-hmm. they should have been more thoughtful about, yeah. like her ruling their country yep
0: uh, anyway. um also, I wanted to ask you, so the movie has a whole bunch of modern soundtrack yes. pieces um, layered over the top. Yeah. How did you feel about that?
1: Um, I really liked it. Um, okay. This gets into a whole other thing that I want to talk <laughs> about, which is Sofia Coppola in general. Yes, please. Um, that's goes into... So actually, I want to read this little bit I found um, in defense of this film. Mm-hmm. So the film was not very well received. The Rotten Tomatoes, which I... I don't think percentages give a fair like idea of how a film was received, but um, it was 54% and the consensus um, is a la- lavish imagery and a daring soundtrack sets this film apart from most period dramas. In fact, style complete takes precedence over plot and character development in Coppola's vision of the doomed queen. Um, and in this article later, it says the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are anti-Sophia Coppola, then it is probably then this film is probably the most obvious example of her worst tendencies: mm-hmm. style over substance, style over substance, mm-hmm. minimal plot, overprivileged young women who refuse to speak in full sentences or really at all. <laughs> um, that's interesting, considering that she did the bling ring after this, which I haven't seen, but <laughs> um, does fit that description. Yep. It seems um, so. Yeah, that's interesting that. Um, I definitely, her stuff is super stylized, but I've never thought of it the way that it's style mm. over substance. Mm. Um, because the one I love, Lost in Translation, and I really liked um, the beguiled um, this last year, which a lot of people did not like, <laughs> um, but I love. Um, so I, I like her personal stamp on it, and I think that the soundtrack's part of that. I think if you're trying to make um, Mary Antoinette if you're trying to make people more sympathetic toward her or try to like show another side of her, adding the modern music to it makes her more relatable to this audience who's watching it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, there are so many beautiful shots. Um, the way she uses lighting I think is incredible, but Mm -hmm. the style of this film is what I really, really liked. Um, Yeah. The costumes in the way, um, that whole, segment, I guess the best part of the soundtrack is the I Want Candy part, <laughs> um, and they just show these shots. It's very Wes Anderson-y, too, mm-hmm. maybe, a little bit, Yeah, how they show from the top down, like, plates of food coming in and out, and all these different shoes that she has, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I think it's a really good representation of, um, like, what people at least think was happening then, them, but mm-hmm. in this more modern context.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that you're right, like, it has minimal... Uh, dialogue as well as like plot mm-hmm. um, and then it, it has like these bits where there's modern soundtrack and so Andrew watched it with me mm-hmm. <laughs> he did not like the modern soundtrack because he felt like it was like hey dummies here's like it since you can't understand what's <laughs> uh, going on I'm going to put in this pop song because you'll understand that right so and there's a certain level of that yeah. but at the same time I was okay with it because I was like I mean, yeah, she's trying to show, she's trying to explain this character's motivation with the score rather than with dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually kind of like that because I, I've said this before, I feel like the approach to Marie Antoinette was very like, it was sympathetic, but it was also kind of unbiased and it lets you make your own judgments. Um, And so it was, it was trying to offer like a, this is why we think she partied so much is because she's a young girl and she's trying to, uh, you know, assert herself and her individualism within these strictures of the society she lives in, you mm-hmm. know? And, and so, you know, you're going to put like a rebellious punk rock, you know, girl anthem in there. And yeah, yeah <laughs> I, it was a little bit jarring for me, but I was like, eh, I feel like it's okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I I think you also forget how young Mary Antoinette is. Yeah. And so the music kind of helped that and mm-hmm. how, Um, because at some point you're like oh is she really that naive or and you're like oh she's 14 at the beginning Mm -hmm. of this or whatever it is yeah and so I think that did help like remind you that oh she just like wants to have fun yeah (laughs) she's tired of one sitting around throughout like the they show like the monotony of her routine Mm -hmm. um yeah
0: Yeah. and I think that I think I also did think that it was interesting that as the movie progresses and as she is getting older, um, and maturing, the those like modern soundtrack pieces become fewer and far between. Until by the end, we're not getting any of that. Yeah. it's like the first half of the movie is very different from the last half of the movie. I'd say, but yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of Sofia Coppola, I wanted to bring up so, <laughs> like I said, Andrew and I watched this together, and afterward, we had a long discussion about it, and. Um, he, w- he had this really interesting point that he was like, I think that Sofia Coppola sees herself in Marie Antoinette. Because Sofia Coppola is kind mm-hmm. of Hollywood royalty. She's kind of born into this life. She's always been in the limelight. Uh-huh. There are all these things that are expected of her as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. as an actress, as, you know, a Coppola. And, um, and, so, and that comes with all of these limitations and, you know, like rigid um, restrictions on her hmm. life and on her art. And she kind of wants to rebel against that, and I think it's kind of a, a little bit of a, <laughs> almost like a justification of some of her work that people have criticized.
1: Huh.
0: Um, which is so funny because Marie Antoinette is like the epitome of her work that people criticize.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I love that comparison, Um, especially so. Along with it's like how poorly this was received, it was booed. It can because it's in France Mm -hmm. and you can imagine French. I I feel bad. I know. (laughs) I feel
0: bad that we're doing this for a French holiday and we're like, oh, we're going to talk about it. I can
1: see why they wouldn't be happy with that, though, because it doesn't. you never see the people in the revolution. Yeah, <laughs> you and you only never see the royal family, so you don't get the other right. side of this. Right, you um, never
0: see exactly how bad things are, and it was bad. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. So that's <laughs> definitely not fair, but that's funny that you had French people um, booing and rebellion <laughs> against uh, Marie Antoinette yeah. and also Sophia Coppola in this film. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I don't. Hmm. Yeah. I I would like to think more about that comparison because I can see some um, things that are similar between her and Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. Um, like just, they both care about style and yeah. their, the way they cut and like shoot scenes. I don't know. I don't think.
0: Well, and that's also kind of like a justification for like Maria Antoinette's justification for her lifestyle and her choices is that's how she was raised. That's like, where she's from. That's this is what <laughs> huh. she's always known, and so yeah. <laughs>
1: hmm. Yeah, I like that comparison. It's
0: really that. interesting. Huh? <laughs> yeah, credit to Andrew. Uh, anyway. Good job,
1: Andrew. Yeah, good job, Shut Andrew. <laughs> on, he is not too far from where we yep. are recording. This. <laughs> yep. Um, cool. Yeah, I I really like Sophia Coppola though. Mm-hmm. So I think. Um, I was talking about it. Like, I first watched this and was like, I really liked it throughout, maybe mm-hmm. liked it a little bit less toward the end. Mm-hmm. And then now time I've got like, maybe my enthusiasm for it's waning <laughs> a little bit. But I like her so much and the way she films <laughs> things that, um, like, I just want her work to be good. Yeah. <laughs> so badly. <laughs>
0: yeah, totally. Um, so one thing that I wanted to bring up as well, which is, so I was reading some reviews of the movie from back when it first came out, and this is one from the New York times. Um, but it talks about how, um, the movie Marie Antoinette is also making some comparisons between modern day, um, particularly the world of 2006 when it came out. Um, so I'm going to say, it would be, I'm sorry, I'm quoting this. <laughs> um, it would be overstating the case to call it a work of social criticism, but beneath its highly decorated surface is an examination, touched with melancholy as well as delight, of what it means to live in a world governed by rituals of acquisition and display. Um, I thought that was really interesting, especially considering the time period in which the movie came out in 2006, which was you know right before the, uh, the Great Recession. Um, right before the housing market collapsed, when people were buying things that they could not afford because of, like like they say, the ritual of acquisition and display.
1: Um, You know, the show of having things (laughs)
0: that, you know, this wealth and luxury that you don't really have. Um, Yeah, I just think that's a, it was really interesting that this movie came out and was making that statement right before the housing crisis. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Oh, very good. And, and going back a little bit to what you were saying about um, Sofia Coppola um, seeing herself, yes, yeah, <laughs> <and> sorry, <laughs> filming things. No, this is oh, this is all. <laughs> I keep flip flopping. This <laughs> film. Um, I found a quote that she had said um, about the film. I'm not a fetish. A fetish. A fetish is that's like a lot of s sounds um about historical accuracy mm-hmm. i'm just like making it my thing <laughs> is what she had said um and i think it was true she's been criticized for the beguiled. she was also criticized for that because mm-hmm. she um the original film <laughs> it's a talk for another day um it's based off of a clint eastwood film that's terrible but Um, they have um, this is during the Civil War the film is set they have a slave in that film but in her remake of it she just writes off slavery entirely and Mm. says Oh, our slaves ran away at the start of the war, and so the whole war, or the whole film is about these white women. And mm-hmm. so, people have had problems with you're telling a story about the Civil War without having
0: um, a whole black side of the, perspective yeah.
1: <laughs> within it at all.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, she gives very narrow, um, perspectives on, yeah, on the historical things. She, and I think you're right, like she, she
1: decides, and that's what she said about it. She said. Um, like because I'm white, essentially like based on my background, (laughs) I didn't feel like I have the authority to tell the story of someone with a background different from my own. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a big question of like, is... Is that the right way to feel it or not? Yeah, um, she has decided that obviously through this film and other ones that um, I'm only going to tell the stories that I can personally relate to. I don't mm-hmm. know that that's entirely fair because yeah. there are directors who research and can tell very captivating stories about marginalized groups that they mm-hmm. do not belong to because yeah. they feel that group needs a voice, but.
0: There's also something to be said for knowing your own strengths. And maybe she, and just, knows that, yeah, and maybe yeah. she just knows that she does not have that ability. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So. Um, and I think that, you know, there's something to be said for if you're trying to do a character study like what Marie Antoinette is of, you know what, I'm only going to approach this from her perspective because, I mean, really putting yourself into somebody else's shoes is the only way that you're going to be able to adequately be able to judge them, you know? Yes. So... Yeah, and but at the same time, I'm like with something like the Beguiled, I'm like "Eh, it's probably not great that you completely cut out that actual part of history.
1: No, and Marie Antoinette, it's a little bit more understandable. Yeah, I can see. I don't know. I haven't (laughs) and I haven't
0: seen the Beguiled, so I can't make a definitive judgment about it. But yeah, but for Um. Marie Antoinette, it's like I I feel like maybe there's because it's all from Marie Antoinette's perspective, and I'm like. She had to have driven through Paris on her way to the opera and seen what was going yeah. on with her people. <laughs> but
1: it doesn't you know, show but you any of it that. It
0: doesn't show you any of that. And maybe that's because she just was living her life with blinders on and refused to see it. Yeah. But I mean, I think so that that in the actually end, speaks. I
1: feel like it's her greatest fault. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I feel like that's also a really good insight into her character that she's willing to put the blinders on, even when it's right in front of her. And, uh, you know, and it kind of got glossed over. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a perfect movie, but it's no, interesting. it's interesting,
1: <laughs> interesting discussion. Yes, definitely. It. Um, the just to say, I just realized um, that the film is based on a biography, yeah. loosely based, um, <laughs> called Mary Antoinette: The Journey, which is um, a bit
0: of a revisionist history biography.
1: Yeah, um, so it seems like if people <clears throat> would like. Like a more complete picture, that that may be the way to go. Yeah. Um, people describe it as like the definitive work on Marie Antoinette. Mm-hmm. But...
0: Yep. Great. Well, Shannon, do you
1: recommend this movie? <laughs> um, now, now I feel so confused. I don't really like come in knowing very much how I feel and what I want to say. And this is like, ooh, I don't know how to feel about this. Um, I, like I said, I really like Sophia Coppola's style. Mm-hmm. I, um, I liked a lot about this, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't entirely disagree with, um, the, it's style over substance <laughs> that I think it could, um, go deeper into how she feels and how she actually knew about, mm-hmm. um, her people and how they were suffering <laughs> and, um, yeah, um, yeah. So, I think Worth a Watch, if you really want to watch something by Sofia Coppola, I'm going to say watch Lost in Translation instead, because okay, that right. one's far superior. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Not, I, uh, yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle of it. It's like, I liked it while watching it, and mm-hmm. but I can see all these things that are maybe problematic about it. Yeah.
0: um i would say for most people i would say probably don't see it um it's a little uh, i don't know it's a little quirky um (laughs) and it's not a perfect movie it's um also i had to watch it with the subtitles because there's a lot of mumbling oh really yeah it it was i think it was supposed to be like uh you know really putting you in the scene and in a real scene like people aren't going to be talking so loudly that you can understand what every single person is saying. So there was a lot of mumbling. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was just my sound system. I I don't know. know.
1: But, was, and this probably defeats the purpose <laughs> of watching this movie. I was watching it on my phone, oh. close to my face, oh. which maybe solved the volume issue. But for mm-hmm. a movie like this, like when the whole point of it is the visual mm-hmm. aspect of it, you probably should watch it on a larger screen than I did. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, so I would say for most people, probably not. But if you're really into French history, especially around the Revolution, um, it's an interesting character study into Marie Antoinette. Um, it, if you're interested in like art house movies, then I would say go see it.
1: That's the thing. So. Like you can't, most people, there are movies I really love. Um, there's one I saw recently I was going to recommend. I'm like, mm-hmm. probably 80% of people though shouldn't <laughs> see this movie. Cause it's just not the right thing for you to yeah. see. <laughs> like you need to, I don't know. Yeah.
0: I feel like you, you know, if you, if you're into like blockbusters, probably not going to be a movie you will enjoy um if you are more into art house films yes you should probably see it so yeah cool well i think that's going to be it for us this week um so join us next week when we are talking about Mamma mia yes right mm,
1: sure i think it's Mamma mia yeah that sounds right here we um, go again yes
0: uh we're gonna be talking about abba and mama mia and it's gonna be great tana's coming back yeah tune in next week to to see the return of tana for not forever unfortunately but for a couple of episodes two episodes episodes. i wonder what the one after is oh We'll have to, have to stick find out and keep listening. <laughs> yep. Cool. Um, well, as always, you can find us on Twitter at PC Footnotes or on Facebook at Pop Culture Footnotes. Um, you can listen to us on iTunes or Castbox FM or on our website, popculture footnotes.com. Wherever you are listening, please uh, rate, review, subscribe. Um, we'd love to get comments from you guys about what you like, what you didn't like, what you think about the topic we're discussing. Um, you can
1: tell us how we should have chosen Lame is or. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, next year, next
0: bestial Day. <laughs> yeah, this will
1: become a this will come become a thing. There are so many
0: <laughs> movies about the French Revolution that we I'm really actually
1: could. surprised. I think that's I cannot remember why we landed on this in <laughs> particular. Um, but yeah, there are. I was thinking there weren't many, and then oh yeah, I realized oh, there are more than I. There's
0: thought. the Scarlet <laughs> Pimpernel and Tale of Two Cities and Les Mis, and okay. although Les Mis is actually not this French Revolution, yeah.
1: Later. sorry it's my, <laughs> oh, my lack of like history is, it's embarrassing it's anyway <laughs> anyway
0: um uh, yeah, yeah so and then if if you have recommendations for things that you would like us to talk about please email them to us popculturefootnotes at gmail.com uh shout out to dj pj for our theme song thanks preston and uh we will see you next week bye